want to dive right into our series or our text today. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and since literally the first Sunday of the year, we have been walking through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And to kind of set up a little bit of context for you guys, uh, Paul, and we're really going to see this in today's text, uh, deals with three main narratives in uh, the book or the letter of 2 Corinthians that he wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, and one is him trying to reconcile uh, his relationship back to the church in Corinth, um, but then also encourage them to reconcile their relationship with other believers, which I believe is important. Uh, the second thing which we actually shift to next week is Paul deals with the topic of generosity and what it looks like to be a generous Christian, a generous follower of Jesus Christ, and how ultimately uh, we are not just about one church, but we are about the church. And that's what I love about our community here is we are about the church, uh, the global church. And then the third part, which we'll get into in about three weeks or so, uh, is he really starts to address false doctrine and this, this false apostolic narrative. Now, if you hear the word apostolic and you grew up like me, you, th you think of these weird things. Um, we're hopefully going to deconstruct the, the, the craziness that's around that word and kind of establish what an apostle is through the lens of Scripture. Uh, so we'll be getting into that in a few weeks. But, but this, this text in particular I love because you see Paul's affection and you see um, him allowing a, a rebuke to the church in Corinth and the relationship that was kind of damaged, you see it being restored, which I think is absolutely beautiful. And let me just kind of start out by this. How many of you guys have been hurt by church before? So pretty much every hand, almost every hand, except for Lorenz and Kevin, you know, um, every he's like, no, my church life has been great, you know, um, Look, we have all been hurt by church, and we've all gone through moments where uh, it stings, and we've got to kind of walk out forgiveness. We have to walk out what it means to be a disciple of Christ and love his church, because uh, sometimes it's hard to love the church. Sometimes it's hard to love people in the church, um, but we can't love Jesus and not love his church, and I think that that's incredibly and important for this, and, and so... Um, that being said, let me just dive into it so I don't waste y'all's time today. But 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to be picking up in verse 1, um, and we're going to do the whole chapter today, and so I'm excited. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness and completion in the fear of God. So let's pause there. Um, since we have these promises, now we, we got we to gotta stop. And we got to remember that, that Paul is not writing this chapter and verse. This wasn't added until around 350 A.D., uh, but this was a letter that someone would have gotten up in front of the church in Corinth, and they would have read. It would have been a very long letter. And so this particular portion in the letter, he's like, hey, remember these promises. And for us, we see chapter 7, verse 1. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the promises that the Apostle Paul is referring to? And I just want to kind of um, give you a reminder of, of some of these promises. Uh, number one, we are uh, reconciled in Christ. Uh, number two, we are ambassadors of Christ. Number three, we are new creations or new creatures in Christ becoming the likeness of God. Notice how everything I'm saying right here, which is really just scripture, is in Christ. 
in Christ, which is kind of the linchpin or the, 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 the caveat of like you can't have the promises of God without having the in Christ portion of your life. In order for us to be in Christ, we have to submit to the Lordship, to the authority and to the blood of Jesus Christ, and then we have these promises that end up flowing and coming through sanctification, through this sanctification process. But he says, um, therefore we are in Christ, beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, um, for the parents in here, I think that you guys can relate to this. Have you, you, know, you know when your kid's being very well behaved, right? And it's like, and, and if you're not a parent, this is a good you know, lesson for you in case you ever become a parent. Um, and if not, this is a good lesson for you to teach someone else how to parent their children, all right? But like, um, just do it respectfully, right? you know? But like, like you know, let me, I'll give you an example. I know when Judah is misbehaving, right? I know whenever Judah is not being who God intended him to be. And, and what Paul is saying here is God has created you to be a new creation, a new creature Wow, it's a little southern twang. A new creature, an ambassador of reconciliation. Now walk in who it is that God has called you to walk in. Walk in that identity. And, and I, I just, I got to say this because this is something, and I've shared this before, but for you guys that don't know me, um, for a long time I used to think, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Like, that is my identity. I've lied. I've, I've cheated on tests. I've, um, you know, done other stuff. I've, whatever it may be, I've, I've got this past. And I used to think that my past defined my sinhood or my sin nature. And it wasn't until a few years ago, whenever I really started digging into it, and the Apostle Paul never calls outside of one time where he is rebuking someone, he never calls someone who is a Christ follower a sinner. Instead, he calls them a saint. He calls them brothers and sisters. He calls them the righteousness of God. And so I'm saying that to say like there is this big paradigm that shifted with me that my identity is not in my sin. Catch this. My identity is not I am Michael Moore and I am a sinner. My identity is I am Michael Moore and I am a child of God, a new creation in Christ, uh, set apart, bought by the blood and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. That is who I am. Now, I still sin. But, but my sin is not who I am. And so for you guys that woke up this morning, you parents and your kids are like, you know, yelling at you, give me a bar, I want a bar, mama, dad, I'm gonna, oh, I just hate you. And you're just like, go to your room, like that. How you parent right there, that is, that is not your identity, all right? <laughs> so, look, I'm just, I'm preaching from my house, all right? And so, like, if you've ever been into my house, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, uh, and here's the thing. I can't even threaten to take away a Florida trip because I'm not taking that away. Like, if you're bad, we're not going to go to Florida. Michael, you can't do that. I know what I want to do. That's my flesh. Anyways, um, but, like, like, I am a Christ follower, just as Judah, when he misbehaves, is still my son. Allie is still my daughter. And my job, my primary role as a parent is to call them and to lead them into the identity that God has given them as a child and daughter of God. 
And so whenever they start yelling, or, or they're, you know, yesterday they were doing like airbender stuff, and Judah grabbed a pillow and threw it across the room. Next thing I know, like, you know, glass has fallen. It wasn't that dramatic, right? Um, but all this crazy stuff, it's like, stop. Um, that isn't his identity. His identity is he's my son, but more important than that, he's a child of God. And I want to call him into the image that God has called him or created him for. So um, these promises, that's our promise. Our promise is in adoption of sonship. All right, and so verse 2, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, and we take advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts, and I love this, to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. I, I love that right there, and I hope that you could just hear the affection that Paul has for the church in Corinth. I, I wish that you could like just, just what was Paul, what was going through his mind right here? And I think that there's a few things, there's so much that we can unpack right here, and I'm going to attempt to do this. Um, but right here, you see Paul start out by saying, make room in your hearts for us. Make room in, our, in your hearts for us. And we say this all the time here at City Church, but we're called as followers of Jesus Christ to be in gospel-centered community. We, we are called to be a part of, of the church, and the church is a bunch of imperfect, broken people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ that we get to link arms with. Look, many of us, we've got that crazy Uncle Steve, right? And like, you know, you have to tolerate them. Sometimes there are people in the body of Christ who they're that crazy Uncle Steve. Look, I, I don't have an uncle named Steve. If you do, please forgive me. Um, but like, you kind of have to tolerate them, and you're just like, he's, he's a part of my family. He, he may be crazy. He may drive you nuts. But man, if something happens to Uncle Steve or something happens to you, Uncle Steve's going to end up coming and being there. He's going to end up stepping in. And so Paul's saying, I want you to make room in your hearts for each other, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Which then goes to a whole other topic of what happened to the church loving each other. What happened to the church being unified? Even Jesus said, you will know my disciples by your love for one another. Jesus' prayer in John 17 was a prayer of unity in the church. And I think about that and how divided are we today? Well, you listen to Bethel and that's, you know, that's that spirit stuff. Well, you listen to John Piper and all he does is yell about the glory of God, you know, and, um, and, and you know, you, We've created these denominations, we've created these separations, and, and through it all, where is the love? Where is our affection for our brothers and sisters who may think or look at it a little bit differently? And listen, I'm not talking about um, having solid theology, all right? That's a, that's a different talk for a different take, but I'm talking about finding common ground in the saving grace of Jesus Christ and saying, I can agree with that. And because I agree with that, because I love Jesus, we can be brothers and sisters even if we disagree on our expression of that. It's so incredibly important. And, and I got to say this, in order for us to really understand the fullness of God and what it is that God wants to do in us, we have to be in community with one another. 
We have to be in community with one another. Listen, if, if, if we isolate ourselves, and I've been there, if we isolate ourselves, we will find ourselves getting into trouble or getting into sin, and we have no one to turn to, no one to talk to, and that's where the enemy can come in and get that foothold and grab a hold of you, and bondage starts to attach itself to you. We are called to be in community with one another. I, many of you guys may know Travis Estes. He helped start the church um, several years ago. And Travis is a cool dude. Uh, he actually sent out a picture of him to me the other day, or no, he posted on Instagram of him at 21, and I was like, oh my gosh, you were a baby. Like, I literally, Jess, I was like, he looks like he's 12, and he's like, no, dude, I was 21. And, you know, um, anyways, I love Travis, and I'm sure he'll be up here soon, and you guys that don't know him, you'll get to meet him, and just a good guy, and loves Jesus, and he's honestly like a walking theologian. It's scary. But, um, but I remember whenever we were starting the church, we would meet at my apartment in downtown Albany. And, um, and there was just some times where he's like, man, I don't, I don't want people to come over tonight. Like, I just want to be by myself and do nothing. I don't, I don't want to do this Bible study. I don't, want to, you know, I don't want to cook mac and cheese and hot dogs for people, which that's what we ate because that's all we could afford. And ramen, back whenever it was 11 cents a pack, y'all remember that? Now it's like 80 cents. I don't know how much it is, but... But like that, but every time, every time, and, and we got in some, some heated discussions, like, hey, Travis, uh, I may not want to do this either, and you may not want to do this, but you know what? This isn't about you. Somebody else needs to hear your voice. Somebody else needs to hear what it is that God's doing in you. Someone else may need you to pray for them, for them to be able to receive their healing, or them to be able to receive uh, this new understanding or, or, of, of Scripture or whatever it may be. And every time, and, and you guys, I, I dare you to dare you to do this. Anytime you feel like, I don't want to do this as far as being a part of the church, I dare you, double, triple dog dare you, to step into that even though you don't want to and watch you step out of that and being like, I really needed that. Like, have you ever been to those, you know, Friday night worship night? It's like, oh, I don't want to go, but my wife's making me go, so I'm going to go. And, and then you get there, and then it's just like, Jesus just hit you. And then you leave, and the joy of the Lord is upon you. And it's just like, I'm so happy, and I'm just, you know, joyful. And like, let's go get some pizza and talk about Jesus. Like, well, honey, what happened? I don't know. I'll tell you what happened. You were around the people of God. You were in community with one another. And this is why it's so incredibly important. Now, I love what Paul says. We die together, we live together. I want you to think about that. We, like, this, isn't, this isn't like the three musketeers, you know, one for all and all for one. Like, this is the Bible. He's saying we're going to die together and we're going to live together. Meaning, what happens to my brothers and sisters should affect me. And whenever they are suffering or experiencing pain, we should encounter that or embrace that. And at the same time, whenever they are having successes and celebrating, we should rejoice with them. I, I think about Pastor Caleb, who you guys don't know. He's pastoring, um, it's literally called My Church in Ottawa, Canada. Have you listened to the news lately with Ottawa, Canada? Have you seen what's happened? Have you seen the, the woman that got trampled this past week by the government's orders and all that stuff? And, and whatever you, you stand politically speaking, I know Caleb has gotten up in front of his church and he said, hey, we cannot stand for this injustice and we cannot stand for the government shutting 
our mouths. Now, thankfully, we don't have that issue here in America, but they're experiencing it over there. What he is experiencing in Canada should cause me to have empathy and cause me to lean into it and to pray for my church, Ottawa. Because they're, they're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing hardship. And listen, this isn't a political thing, and so if you want to talk politics, talk with Kevin afterwards. He would love to talk, talk politics with you. No, seriously, like we, I remember that one time we sat for like three hours talking politics. It was phenomenal. He's a part of the Green Party, in case you're wondering. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But um, we live together. We die together. And, and man, I, I just got to say this, and many of you guys know Pastor David in India, and I'm, if you don't know these people, just stick around a while enough and you'll, you'll know them. Um, I have such love and affection for the church in India that Pastor David leads, and I've never met him. I've never met him because I have more in common with my brothers and sisters in India than I do my neighbor who might be an atheist because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we are family. Because of Jesus, we are family. And then I love how he says this, I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. I have great pride in you. Let me just say this. I believe that we should be prideful of the church or have pride in the church, not prideful. But we should have pride in the church. Like, I mean that. Like, we should love our church. We should have pride in our church. We should have pride in our brothers and sisters. We should have pride in the worship team. We should have pride in the kids' ministry. We should have pride in all of these things because that's, that's my spiritual family. And, and I, I, can't, I can't quite imagine what's going through Paul's minds whenever he's writing this letter because he knew of the issues that were happening in the, the church of Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, well, in all of 1 Corinthians. But in this letter, he's like, hey, I am taking pride in you, which means you're getting a little bit better. And this is where it starts to sting a little bit. And so you guys bear with me. Verses 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And so let me just pause right there. You see all throughout Paul's ministry that Titus is this guy that just keeps coming in on the scene. Um, Titus was a brother in Christ, and, and Titus and Paul were extremely close together, and they were able to share with each other and and, and pray for each other, and they were like, like ministry uh, companions, for lack of a better word, co-laborers with each other for Christ. And so anytime Titus would come back into the picture, Paul would just get filled with joy. It's, it's like your best friend. You know, you haven't seen your best friend in three years because of the pandemic, and then uh, they show up at your doorsteps one day. You, you don't sit there and just say, oh, it's good to see you, and shut the door on them. No, you welcome them in, and you get excited, and you have a big party, and you call your friends over, and you tweet it out on social media, and post the little pretty Instagram pictures with the filters and all of that stuff to let everyone know that Titus has come back to visit. 
And so that's Paul's love for him. But he says, and not only, verse 7, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Verse 8, even more, if I have made you grieve with my letter, we'll talk about that in just a second, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Now, if you're reading that, you're sitting there, you're just like, man, what on earth is he saying? Like, Titus is here, and we're happy about that, and we're having a big tea party, and then he's talking about, like, I grieved you. Um, so let me back up, because you've got to understand the context, all right? 1 Corinthians, the first letter of four that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, was a massive rebuke. It was a massive rebuke. I mean, you had like uh, stepmom sleeping with stepson. You had people that were hanging out and they were, they were you know, we're here to take communion. The next thing you know, um, everyone's getting completely wasted and, 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 and you know, just like, oh, this communion, it's the new wine. And they're stumbling out of the house of God, um, like complete drunkenness. There was thievery going on. There was lying going on. And Paul steps into the church and he's like, Y'all are getting drunk and having sex with each other, and you call yourself Christians? Like, are you serious? And so Paul's letter is a massive rebuke for, for the letter of 1 Corinthians. Like, like, you read it, and I mean, it's just absolutely insane. Like, let's take 1 Corinthians 13, for instance, right? The love chapter. Everyone loves the love chapter. You know, love does not envy, love does not boast, love does shows no partiality, love is in all and with all, you know, faith, hope, and love shall remain, the greatest of these is love. Yeah, we take that, and that is our wedding scripture, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that was not a wedding scripture for them. That was a massive rebuke of saying, hey, you Corinthians, you suck at loving. You do, and so let me paint a picture for what love looks like. Love does not boast. That's all you guys do is you boast about yourself. Shut your mouth and serve one another. Love does not envy. That's all you guys do. You already have enough, and you're just wanting more stuff. Love holds no wrongdoing, right? Some of you are like, I remember this one on my wedding day, and it was just so sweet and just pretty, and you know, sometimes my wife does hold wrongdoing against me. I need a reminder of this, but not as a rebuke, because that, you know, like, but no, this was, like, all you do is you hold things over people's heads, and, and so it was a massive, massive rebuke that was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and so Paul's saying, I wrote you this letter and it got you mad. I wrote you this letter and it stung a little. I wrote you this letter and it called some things out. Has anyone ever had a parent or a friend or a boss or a teacher who they just tell you how it is? Like some of you say, oh, yeah, right now. You know, some of you guys, you are that person to other people. You know, I, I remember having this one boss, Don O'Brien. He was the owner of Burger King in Southeast Texas. Nathan met him one time. Brilliant guy, mastermind business genius, like loves the Lord. But he sat down with me. I was 17 years old and I was managing a Burger King, which was completely illegal as he was buying it from a company that was going bankrupt. 
Um, and so he sits down, and he's like, Michael, I want to do, uh, do my evaluation with you before you actually come onto my payroll. And so we sit down, and we're talking. He's like, Michael, you're so good at this. You focus on drive-through time. You suck as a manager. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you have no people skills, and you're doing this wrong. You're just focused on this. And I'm sitting there, and, and he literally said, and um, this is a little graphic, so just bear with me. He literally said, I'm going to take your heart out and I'm going to eat it in front of you, and I'm going to put it back in there, and you're going to walk away feeling like a million bucks. Metaphorically speaking, that did not happen, right? And so, so I'm sitting there, and he's just going, and it's one of those, you're just sitting in the chair, and you're just shrinking down and down and down. But by the time he was done, I left there feeling like a million bucks, because it wasn't that he was calling me out to tell me how bad I was. He saw the potential that God had placed in me, and so he was calling out my shortcomings so that I could step into who it was that God would have me be. And the moment that I left the BK industry, and I was like, hey, I'm going to go be a pastor, and he's like, praise God. You're going to be great at that. I'm like, all right, good. And then whenever we told him we were planting a church, he's like, are you out of your mind? Yes, Don, I, I, I am. He's like, all right, well, praise God. And, you know, and to this day, I could pick up the phone. I have his number memorized, and I could call him. Be like, hey, Don, let's talk. And he would talk me through and coach me through. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing to the church in Corinth. And I'm writing you this letter, and it's hard, that letter in 1 Corinthians, but it's because I see you going so much further than you see yourself. I see so much more in you. And that letter caused a lot of tension between the Corinthians and the Apostle Paul. And so then Titus shows back up on the scene. Titus comes on in and he's like, Paul, Paul, I got to tell you something. All right, bro, what's up? First off, it's good to see you. About, about to, you know, we're going to have a little tea party and uh, hang out and post on Instagram and stuff. He's like, yeah, but Paul, I got to tell you something. The Corinthian church, you remember how, like, you know, Joe was sleeping with Susie, who was his stepmom, and, and, and then they were all getting drunk at the communion table. You remember, like, like, it was just like every Sunday. I'm telling you, like, six people would just walk out of the temple, and they're just falling out, and, you know, we're having to carry them out. And you, you remember all the thievery and the stealing that's going on? He's like, yeah, I, I remember all the, the junk that's happening. He's like, dude, they're repenting. Paul's sitting there, wait, What? Tell me more, Titus. Tell me more. Paul, they're, they're repenting, and they're getting their lives right with God, and they're starting to pursue holiness, and, and they're actually going and taking communion and not getting drunk anymore. They're actually not sleeping around anymore, but they're living lives of purity, and, and they're, they're telling the truth, and they've got this zeal to them. And, and meanwhile, Paul is sitting here, and he's being filled up with joy regardless of the cost that it took for the church in Corinth to get there, regardless of how hard it was for him to say the things that he said in order for the church of Corinth to get there. It's bringing them to a place of repentance. And then verse 10, for, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Like, Michael, I thought that, that, that God was just filled with joy. He is filled with joy. But there should, be, there should be a weight on us whenever we sin, knowingly sin, 
like, I'm going to do this. And I know it's wrong, but I don't care. I'm going to do it. There should be a godly weight that causes us to grieve whenever we wrong our Heavenly Father. And that grief should produce repentance. Listen, I am a firm believer that as a believer in Christ, we need to repent every day. And listen, you'll catch yourself, and I'm not talking about like getting out and, you know, having a bunch of candles out and lighting incense and, you know, oh God, forgive me. But I'm talking about you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you start cussing at them and don't tell me you haven't done it because I'm sure many of you guys have. You just cuss them out like, I can't believe you. And a minute later, you know, Waymaker comes on the radio and you're just like, oh Father, oh God, I just can't believe I did that. I, God, I'm sorry. I, I, help me to be better. That is repenting right there. And true repentance leads to salvation with no regret. But it doesn't, and i got to say this, I'm going to move on, and, and the team's going to come up here in a minute play. i got to say this, because it's so important. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. There's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction should lead you to a place of repentance where you can then walk in the identity that God has called you to walk in. Condemnation places shame and regret all over your body. There is no shame in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how crazy of a life you've lived. It doesn't matter how many people you've hurt or how many people have hurt you. There is no shame once you are a new creation in Christ. That's condemnation. And condemnation is from the enemy, and it is a lie from the pit of hell. Verse 11, 13. He says this, For see what this earnestness, see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. So you've had this repentance. You've had this grief. You've been called out for your sins. Now you're, you're, it's producing something in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves with what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did nothing wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that you earnestly for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. So repentance should produce an aspect of a zeal for the Lord in us. Repentance should produce a boldness in the Lord for us. Repentance, repentance should produce an eagerness of the knowledge of God in the Lord. Now, I, I say all this to say, going back to my opening question, anyone ever been hurt by the church? Paul was hurt by the church. Paul was hurt by the church in Corinthians. They, they talked about him. They didn't listen to him. They betrayed him. They lied about him. But he did not give up on them. The Corinthians were ticked off at Paul. Like, dude, you've hurt me. You called me out for sleeping with my stepmom. I didn't know that was a problem. Oh, yeah, bro, that's a problem. Let's talk about it. Like, 
He called them out for getting wasted on communion wine. There, a lot of tension. But God can reconcile. God can reconcile. And, and I just want to say this, for those that have been hurt by church, and this is me too, you want to talk about being hurt by church? I have been publicly humiliated at times by the church. I know what it's like. God reconciles. God redeems. God restores. And that's what's happening right here. We finally see all this talk, and God's redeeming it. And it's filling Paul with joy and gladness. And he says, therefore, we're comforted. We're comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Wait, 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 wait. Y'all were just walking in sinful ways, claiming to be Christians, and now Titus is rejoicing over you. Like, what happened? What happened. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proven true. Catch this, verse 15. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him without fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. See, Titus is like the little cheerleader for the Corinthian church. I mean, he's just like, give me a C. C, you got that C, you got that C. Give me a O. Oh, you got that O. You, you know, however you spell Corinthians, right? All the way through. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But he's like Paul. God is redeeming them. God is restoring them. God is doing something in them. And in your letter, it was harsh and it was, you know, it ticked off. You know, someone even left the church over your letter, but God's called them to a place of repentance. And that repentance is starting to transform them. And there's sanctification that's starting to take place. And, and, and Paul, I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, I love what God is doing in this church. I love what God has, has done over the past three years or two years in this church. And, and Paul, I, I can't wait to see what happens beyond this. I can't wait to see the lives that they end up impacting and the missionaries that they end up sending out and, and the, the, the kingdom advancement that ends up taking place over these people that were once getting drunk on communion wine. Look, you want to know how this church started out? This church in Southeast Texas started out with a bunch of people, and I wasn't a part of this, but th this is the origins of it. My Bible just fell apart. This church started out with a bunch of people getting some beer and saying, hey, we're going to prove the Bible wrong or the Bible's going to prove us wrong. And they sat down and they drank beer and they smoked cigarettes and God, one by one by one by one, started transforming lives and redeeming them and restoring them. And now there have been multiple churches that came out of a little Bible study in the backwoods of Orange, Texas that are now making a gospel impact and have seen hundreds, if 
not thousands of lives changed and transformed because someone had the guts and the audacity to say, hey, let's get this thing together. This is what Paul talks about us going from one degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory. Man, church, you may not see the transformation that God is doing in your heart right now, but you look a decade from now, God, I can't believe you did that with me. Like, we are the church in Corinth. Michael, I've never gotten drunk on communion wine. Yeah, but you might have looked at porn, and God set you free of that. Yeah, you might have been lying on your taxes, but God set you free of that. Or you hired Hector, and he fixed them for you. Big shout out. Best, best tax guy in the world right there. He's like, don't say that, you know. Like, but listen, this is what it's about. And, and, and this, is, this is why, this is why I love Jesus. Because he doesn't just leave us there. But he picks us up. And he transforms us. And he makes us new. And he calls us into community. You know those guys that would gather in that trailer in the backwoods of Orange, Texas with a pack of Marble 27s? a six-pack or 12-pack, whatever it was that they could find. Those are my best friends. And I've seen God transform their lives and churches planted, including this one. Don't tell me God can't do it. This is why when we take Holy Communion that we're about to do, we are able to enter into the suffering into the pain, but into the redemption of the body of Christ. Like, God is redeeming us, has redeemed us. And we're able to enter into a sacrament that has been practiced for thousands of years. And you know, I just want to read this passage of Scripture in his first letter. And what we're going to do is we're going to close out, and the way we're going to do communion today is during this song that the worship team's about to sing, whenever you feel led, maybe you need to repent of some sins in your life. Maybe you've got some things, some bitterness that you're holding against people. Maybe you've got some forgiveness that you've got to walk through. Man, I want to create this opportunity for us to be able to repent before our Lord, confess our sins to the Lord, and then allow his grace to wash over us. And then for us, when we are ready to join the millions, if not billions of saints that have taken Holy Communion today, remembering our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he gave. And so as I read the scripture, if you need communion elements, you can just slip up your hand. And um, I think most people, I think everyone got them. That's awesome. But Paul says this, to the church who was getting drunk on communion wine. He says, this is my body. He said, let me back up. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Now catch this. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And he's addressing the drunkenness that was happening around the communion table. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So the instructions are this. We examine our hearts. And when we have rend ourselves of our sin, forgiven ourselves and repented for our sins, we then take the communion bread and the juice this morning. And so I want to invite you to stand. And I'm just going to pray. And the worship team's going to sing a song. And as they sing a song, whenever you feel like you are ready, take it. And listen, if you don't feel like you are ready, you would be doing yourself a favor by not taking communion today. Father, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning, God. Father, that you would allow repentance to come where there needs to be repentance. God, that you would produce a godly grief on us where there needs to be a godly grief. And that we would fall at the feet of Jesus and embrace the grace that is available for us embrace his love that is available for us. And God, I just ask that today as we take communion as the body of Christ, God, we would be reminded of the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and that he's coming again for a redeemed and beautiful bride that you call the church. So Lord, we love you.